Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is Jen and today I'm here with Joan Bragar. Joan, how are you? I'm terrific today. Thank you, Jen. Good. And I pronounce everything all right. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Your website is joanbragar.com. It will be in the links in the show notes. I had to learn that you have to click on the word love in order to open up all of the tabs. So in the event that that's still an issue, don't yes. think it's one landing page like I did. Um, right. Joan, tell me about what you do because it's really fun. Ah, you're so sweet. Well, currently, and we'll go back in time in a minute, but currently I am a relationship coach for successful women. That's what I call myself. And in fact, lately, I'm I'm not a dating coach. I'm a mating coach. That's what I've come up with. (laughs) That I really, really am committed that uh, men and women, and I work work mostly with women, about 95%, but that men and women... In this very complicated age we're in, we are, you know, 50 years post the decade of love and, uh, and we're still sorting out what is it and what is relationship and what is commitment and what is marriage. And it's clearly completely changed in our lifetimes, completely from our parents and our grandparents, completely. And so how do we navigate the world of finding love, especially, uh, I especially I'm focusing on the second half of life, although I, I deal with women who are 30 and up, but I especially like to work with women who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s because I think we're going to live long lives. They've already told us our lifespan is expanding. And an interesting part of that is that we're not going to have more years of senility. We're, not, we're going to have like an extra decade of active life in our lives if we stay healthy. So... Um, what are we going to do with that extra decade? Um, one of the interesting things that's happened is uh, many people are getting to the end, I'll say the end of their marriage at 30 years. The kids are up and out and they look at each other and they say, wow, we have 30 more years to live. We don't want to do 30 more years with each other. So there's, uh, there's an uh, explosion of what they're calling gray divorces uh, where people are just and leaving and then within a year or two wanting to find another mate <laughs> because uh yeah what were you gonna ask i yeah you can tell because i'm like <gasps> isn't it you know okay so i, I mean like I, I have so much information about you you have your master's and your doctorate right in what what are your masters in I, have a, I have a master's and a doctorate from harvard in learning and teaching and that's Yay. isn't that fun? And that's been my lifelong interest is how do people learn? And uh, what I did the first thirty years of my career on I'm calling it the first thirty years uh, is the first thirty years of my career were on how people learn how to lead actually. In oh wow! Yes, and that was um, a great, an outstanding career that took me all over the world. Uh, it took me. I say uh, I did 12 years in the countries of the north of uh, Europe and North America and parts of Asia. And then I did 12 years in the south in Latin America and Africa and the Middle East. And through all of it was teaching leadership. And I love and I loved that career. That was wonderful. 
I love that career and it's wonderful. Yeah. Holy cow. Okay. That was one thing I wanted to ask about because sure. I, I was super excited to learn that. So yeah. you're, I, I love that you have the science behind it. I'm all about everything spiritual and coaching, but yes. I also love the science behind it. And you have a lot of that. Yes. So, so what you are helping yes. mostly women work through and you teach leadership. It's something that you say yeah. on your website that I think is fascinating. Yes. And it, 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 well, this, I've spent my life and my research. Um, one of the things, so I, uh, one of the things I want to say is I'm in a big transition now and I'm, I'm happy about the transition. I started to tell you about that was, uh, I'm 65 now. There's a whole lot of meaning and mental models about what 65 mean. like, Oh my God, do we stop at 65? Or <laughs> we go out to the end of a pier and put a fishing line in and be happy that no one's asking us anything. Well, what, what the research shows on that is very interesting is that people have worked with their minds their whole lives cannot actually stop. That's not something we're looking to do is to stop having interest in creative things. So, what I, so I'm really viewing this as a transition, which is one of the many things you teach when you teach leadership. So the transition I'm in is, and uh, I got this from my husband, who's a few years older than me. He works for the state, so he's actually going to retire. There are quotes around it. He's going to retire, and his years of service will be over. Now, fortunately, I married a very alive guy, and as soon as he retires, he's going to go out and do an independent contracting business. I mean, he's, he's already making a lot of moves in that direction. But I said, oh, you're retiring. Oh, well, I'm going to retire too if you get to retire. So um, this year I am... Uh, stopping after I've taught 15 years as a professor at Boston University. I've been teaching leadership to graduate students for 15 years. And as I said, I've had 30 years uh, as a consultant in leadership development. And the last few years I've done them, I haven't traveled around the world in the last few years. I've done them all with um, very innovative startup companies in the Boston area. So um, I'm transitioning from that. It's uh, we're actually having a party to celebrate in a couple weeks. <laughs> and uh, what I, I was about to, uh, about a year ago, I was going to write a book about leadership. Now, I've I, I have to say, I've written two books about leadership. I love the subject. Uh, when I started to research it, I had to pick something that I would be endlessly interested in. So I picked leadership, and that was good. So about a year ago, I said, oh, I think I want to write another book. And I actually wanted to write about women in leadership because it's something that's really close to my heart. And, uh, you know, I've helped many women become better leaders. I've helped many leadership teams include women as leaders. And it's, it, we certainly seem to be right up on the edge of that's what's needed. That's clearly needed. So I started to write the book. And as I started to do the research, I realized this was a year ago. I was 64. Now, some of the backstory that I'll, I'll tell you more. I was, I married at 62. And as we started, I started to write about leadership. I said, this is not what's most interesting to me anymore. I mean, it's, I hope women do get positions of leadership, but I don't want to write and coach about that anymore. And so I said, what I really care about now is love. And I started to write a book and its eventual title was, It's Never Too Late for Love. And I, I told my story, but I, I have a second half uh, of the title is The Successful Woman's Guide to Online Dating in the Second Half of Life. Because 
I met my husband through Match.com. After two years of, I, I learned a ton. They, they <laughs> I bet. Oh my gosh. Mark, Mark Twain has a great quote. He says, you can learn something carrying a cat by the tail that you can't learn any other way. And that's sort of what online dating is like. It's like, <laughs> oh, right? I love that. Not a great quote. It's, but online dating is really an experiential learning. There are coaches available. There's tons of sites online available. And in the end, you have to dip your toe into the water and learn how to do it. You know, So... I, it was my son, and I think, let's see, it was, uh, my son was about 32 at the time, and he was the one who encouraged me to do it. So, um, well, I mean, let's, uh, this is, I don't care if we're not going in order. What in the world was it like to have one of your kids encourage you uh, to online? I mean, first of all, that's great support. My daughter, who's 27 now, years ago, fixed me up with my partner and I thought she was crazy, but (laughs) maybe she was, but it worked out really well. But what was that experience like? And what was it actually like online dating? Oh, good. Well, I'll answer the first one. Well, well that boy, it's a terrible thing. I still call my boy. That boy's 37 and and he he lets me, which lets me know he is my boy because he lets me. And he and I became closer and closer. The last couple years, we've really become friends where he can let me know what's going on in his life and I can really let him know what's going on in my life and support each other. So it was wonderful because I had an adult man, he was 32 at the time, and he was dating at the time, I had an adult man to get the inside story on. So uh, now I'll I'll transition to online dating. So one of the things I asked my son, I said, "Um, honey, if if you are interested in a girl, do you get in touch with her right away? He said, absolutely. I said, oh, that's really good information for all of us women who are sitting around wondering, should we wait a week or two or what should we do? Or listen, if a man likes, men have a very great thing. They have attraction. Okay. It's a a powerful biological motivator. (laughs) And if they are actually attracted to you, they will pursue you. (laughs) This this is what's true. So I learned that from my son, which, which saved me a lot of grief. Because if people are not attracted to you, and what I found in two years of online dating is among the people I connected with and met, about half were attracted to me and half weren't. And that's fine. That's lovely, actually. That's terrific. So, but the important lesson to learn is the ones who aren't attracted to you don't spend any energy on finding out what happened or or anything. You need to just let those ones go and see who comes towards you. Ah, so changing your focus in a totally different direction. Oh, fantastic. God, I love this. So how are you switching your coaching and your platform? What is it going to become? Wow, it's it's so great because I'm right in the middle of it. My website, I I didn't know how to do my website this year. So I have two boxes. One says work and one says love. <laughs> and then I have a, a quote from Freud that's who, you know, I'm not a great fan of Freud, but he had a great quote that said, um, uh, work and love, that's all there is. And I said, oh my, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that sort that's of very fascinating. true, right? That's yeah. life. Work and love are the two main elements that you want to have in place to be happy. And when I say work, I mean some form of contribution that you feel satisfied making. 
and and love. You know, I do have to say about love, love can take many forms. There are people who are happy just having uh, family relationships or friends. There are people who have love in many forms in this life, and that's fine. And I, I'm absolutely no judge of that. I, I have found for myself that I really like being in love. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't mean in love like high all the time, although that's a fun kind of in love too. But I like in love, like I... Like this weekend, we had a long weekend in the Boston area, and my husband and I didn't have too many plans, so we walked in the woods, we bicycled, we went out, you know, we went out to diners to go to dinner. We just, we just, we just spent time with each other, and that's what I mean when I say living in love. You know, it's very calm and it's peaceful, especially if you're with someone who's crazy about you it's, it's it's a very nice way to live it is a very nice way to live i thoroughly it never gets old and it it i mean like i never don't love that um because yeah. i have that same experience yeah. and uh yeah, we it's really phenomenal isn't it and you're right not everybody wants that i think you need to yeah maybe you need to know kind of what it means to you that love in your life and yes and how that's going to work so you're transitioning the website and what you do so i'm trying to so i have now communicated i've communicated to boston university i've communicated to my consulting clients that january which i understand is now is when i am doing this transition and we uh so that's fine. I said, look, I'm available to all of my clients and students, but what I'm transitioning to is a phone business. That's all, a fully phone coaching business. And so I have clients from all over the world uh, who I speak with, and I have been in training actually really the last seven years to do this business. Uh, I train, I have a lovely mentor. Her name is Catherine Woodward Thomas. She wrote two books two bestsellers, one Calling in the One, which is a great book, and the other one Conscious and Coupling, which people have really heard of. Yeah. And she, I, I, I spent a year on each of those being certified by her as a coach. So in the process of what, what, what's the internal uh, deep, I want to say psychological work, but it's more like in the realm of beliefs that you have to sort out about yourself you and I were talking before that all of this work, the transformational work is very similar. Who are you when it comes to love? What did you decide? And I'll give an example myself. When I was eight years old, I looked up and my parents started fighting in a way that actually eventually led to divorce. Like they really, really started fighting in the house and it just became a wild scene and not a good scene for an eight-year-old really. But inside of that, the the eight-year-old did the very best she could do to make sense of this. And the sense I made is, I have to make it on my own now. Now, that was the best I could do at eight. It wasn't a very, uh, uh, looking back as an adult, I wish she had had a wise adult to tell her, no, you're really not going to be on your own. They will fight. In fact, the story was they fought, they separated. And the true story is my parents were my parents till the day both of them died. And they cared for me and they helped me to the day they died. But that little girl thought it was all over and took on a belief, God, I've got to make it on my own and men can't be trusted. 
And, uh, you know, life's going to be a challenge, but I'm going to be tough and live up to it. So those were my eight-year-old beliefs. And the problem with those eight-year-old beliefs, and this is what we learn when we're trained as coaches, is we hold them unconsciously for the rest of our lives. I didn't wake up every morning and said, I have to make it on my own. But I did wake up every morning and make it on my own. Okay, I was, I, I told my parents when I was mad at them, I'm never getting married if this is what marriage is. And then, you know, paradoxically, it's the moment I graduated from college, I got married. <laughs> because I, did, I didn't want to go home. I was living with a, a nice young, he was a nice young man. I say that with all my heart because he is now, oh my, 40 years later, my my co-grandparent, we're co-grandparents now, right. and we actually wait in hospitals for infants to come, and we have a, and we have Christmas and Thanksgiving and birthday parties. So, but I married now. I married a very nice young man, but I was 22, and he was a little bit older, and we really and we had two kids right away, and the problem was by 20 by the time I was 28, we sort of looked at each other and we didn't think it was going to last a lifetime. It just, yeah. You came to that decision together. Well, no, no. Ah, now this is a very, no. That would have been very mature if two, if two people in their 20s could have said, oh, I just don't think this will last a lifetime. I, I'll, I'll tell you the two incidents. I, we'd always said we wanted two kids, so I started to get pregnant with the second kid, and I got pre- in my 20s, I got pregnant right away. And then one day I woke up and I went in the kitchen and I started crying. And as I say, in those days, I used to, I didn't used to cry that much. I was you know, a pretty happy kid in my 20s. And my husband came in and he said, why are you crying? And I said, the, the words came out of my mouth. How am I going to leave you with two babies? Just, and neither of us said another word. We went back to bed. We never talked about that again. Totally yeah. healthy. Right. Totally. Right. Completely healthy. Let's Absolutely. I'm going on with the pregnancy. I'm going to have the second child. I have no idea what's happening in this marriage. I made sure just to get a little bit of therapy so that I wasn't depressed. I didn't want to be depressed carrying the baby. So he came out and he was a sweet and joyful little boy. This is the same one who's my friend in his 30s. And um, things went, you know, when you have two young children, uh, I had another one who was three years old, you know, life is busy. And what my husband and I talked about was kids and who's getting the milk and who's watching them now and who's going out and who's coming in and who's going out and who's coming in. It was like that constantly. So um, we talked about that for a year. And then uh, the day after my son's first birthday, my husband came to me and said, I have something to talk to you about. And I said, okay. He said, um, oh, we had started in couples counseling. He said, I went and talked to the counselor alone. And she says, I should tell you this. I said, okay. And then he told me he was having an affair. And I said, okay, wait a minute. Let me think about that. He said, I don't know. He said, I'm having an affair and I don't know what to do. I said, all right, wait. So I, I said, you sleep on the couch. Just, I need to go to sleep. So I went to sleep. I woke up five hours later and I said, okay, now you need to leave my house. He said, but we don't have enough money to have two houses or I have nowhere to go. We have no money. I said, uh, I don't care. I said, you can't stay with me for money. That's not why we're going to be together. And uh, he left and he lived at a friend's house and all this. And 
Uh, here, now, here's a funny sub story. A, a week later, after I had just done it alone with two infants for a whole week, I called him up. I said, okay, never mind. I said, never, never, I said, never mind. And, and he said, look, uh, I've been out a week. I think I can do it. I'm staying out. And then within several weeks, he moved in with his girlfriend. And two years later, he married her. And we had a, we had a very difficult five years in which I felt rejected. Okay, now what I've learned now in my wisdom, in my study of relationships, and I blamed him, and he was clearly the bad guy to walk out on a woman with two babies. I mean, how bad? That's the definition of bad, walking out. But what I learned many years later is uh, a man really, most men can't stay where they're not loved. That's Aww. what. Joan. Yeah, isn't yeah. it true? I mean, some men do. You know, some, my, my, my husband stayed about 15 years when after the love, my current husband, after the love was over, because he had five kids and he just didn't want to walk out the door. So he stayed. So he stayed out of obligation. Yeah, he stayed out of commitment, I'd say, to right. the children. He didn't, want, he didn't want to leave them. And so, um, but I really learned it very clearly years later. So anyway, I was very upset for about five years. I blamed my husband. He was the bad guy. And he looked like the bad guy. And he gave me two thirds of his salary for let me see how he wrote it. I think two years so I could get a master's degree and get a good job. And then at the end of the two years, I came to him. I said, uh, I think I'm going to go for a doctor. And he said, well, that's your business. I didn't sign on for that. So I said, okay. And then people always ask me, how'd you do a doctorate with two babies? And I say, I begged, borrowed, and stole. That's how I did it. I made, I just, I made sure we all had food and clothes. Now, fortunately, they were all under six, so they weren't commenting on what the clothes looked like. <laughs> After six, they started to be a little bit picky, but before then, I could probably, I, I could keep them like in uh, bargain outlet sweats, and everybody was happy, and we ate, and we ran a car, and I got to school, and uh, and it took, uh, it took me, uh, the whole Thing took seven years, but in five years I was able to go back to work. My classes stopped, and I went to back to work after five years. Um, so, so, how did you do it? This is great inspiration for people, single moms out there yeah. who are yes, struggling through mom. this. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. I one, I qualified. I qualified for federal low income daycare. And, uh, oh, excellent. I know. My daughter, who's a hardworking social worker with three kids, can't put any of them in daycare. They can't afford anything because she's a hardworking social worker. But I, as an impoverished student, could qualify for daycare. And so I had both my kids were in low-income daycare. I think the whole seven years, I was with one daycare Fortunately, it was in a church basement near my home with loving, caring, older women. All these women were in their 50s. I used to say, you have to be at least 50 to manage a three-year-old. That was my... Because <laughs> they would tell them what to do, and those kids would do it. <laughs> and here I was, you know, as my daughter said, an overstressed single mother. My, mother. my daughter once said, Mom, for an overstressed single mother, you're doing okay. I said, oh. oh thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. So, um... I was just extremely intentional 
uh, I'll say my, my parents were supportive. They didn't pay for my graduate school, but they made sure that my electric bill was always paid and things like that. They didn't, you know, they weren't going to let me and my children starve. They were, they, 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 both my parents watch out for me and I'm eternally grateful to them. And that's why I know that my old story of I'm on my own is not true. I wasn't on my own. My parents were there. And, um, I just went year after year. I just, I said, even when I had to leave at five years to go back to work, I had really run out of money and I, I just had to get a full-time job. I knew I wasn't going to quit. I knew I would eventually finish the doctorate. And I did. I mean, well, how I did it was I worked for a company that did leadership training and they, 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 they hired me to entry level just to do some project management work. But six months in, they said, oh, you do leadership research. I said, that's what I do. So they paid for me to do my dissertation. Not oh. for me, for them. They paid for me a year of research on what high-performing leaders do, which they put into a training program and made millions and millions of dollars off of. And I put into my doctorate and got my degree out of it. So it was a very fair deal that we had. How excellent. Awesome. I know. I, I just, here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you, here's the lesson. And it's what I teach when I coach. It's all about intention and commitment. And you know, Jen, you know this. Yes. You, you put your mind to something and you don't say, I'll get there if it works out. <laughs> That's not going to get, I just want to tell everyone out there, I'll get there if it works out doesn't get you there. You have to say, I'm doing it and I don't know how yet. That's, and I'm sure, I see that you're successful. I'm sure all the things you intended in your life, you weren't sure exactly what the next step was, but you just kept going. Not at all. And I still feel that way a lot. And it, like we've, we, you and I have talked, it's not a destination. It's not, it's not static. You know, it's, it's very malleable and it changes. And that's not because you're changing your mind or you're flighty. It's that life changes. Right. This journey is really an evolution of so many things. And so you, you have to be okay with that. You know, I tell, I have a lot of students who are getting their first job and they're very nervous. And sometimes they say to me things like, I don't know what I'm going to do in September. And I say, I don't know what I'm going to do in September either. Okay. You really have to get this. This is the first time you don't know what you're going to do in September, but it's going to go on and on. We're going to keep having to invent things to make this work. So, um, so I got through graduate school and I calmed down. I want to get back to the relationship part of the story. I really did calm down. I was divorced by 29 and I was single all through my thirties. And, uh, I was single until I was 42 years old and I really calmed down. <laughs> I finally got, when I finally got to work and I knew I could make an income to support the kids, I calmed down a little bit, a, a lot. And I forgave my ex-husband and I, I got on better terms with him. And I remember my 40th birthday party. I invited, you know, eight or 10 friends over to the house and feeling, oh, I made it. I, I'm on my feet again. Because I do remember my 30th birthday party, I was heartbroken. I went, oh, great. I'm 30, divorced with two babies yeah, and no job. <laughs> like, Congratulations. Perfect. <laughs> right, perfect. Just what I was, just what my dream was. <laughs> I'm living it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I didn't, I was single. And uh, during that period, I went out with many, many people and no one stepped up to commit to me. And I, I talked to a counselor about this. I said, why 
is no one committing to me? And she said a brilliant thing. She said, maybe you're not the one, maybe you're the one who's not, doesn't want to be committed. And that actually was very insightful because I had these two kids. They actually had a decent father who took them several days a week. They, they didn't need a father. And they definitely didn't need another man telling them what to do in any way. So I had to work it out that I had dating relationships that didn't infringe on their lives too much. They, I mostly saw people when they were at their father's house. They didn't bring men into their lives often. And that turned out to be good for all of us. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't really, uh, no one actually proposed to me, seriously proposed until I was 42 and my daughter was on her way to college and my son was in high school. So I got, so here, here's, here's a great part of the story. I, I was talking the other day to a group of people. I said, you know, marriage is a serious thing. I said, I know it. I said, I've done it a few times and I actually have done it a few times. So I got married at 42 and I was so thrilled that someone had proposed to me. He proposed to me after I knew him four months and he did it in front of my mother in a restaurant and all. It was very, oh my God. And that was very romantic. And um, I said, yes, at four months. Well, that's one of my life lessons. You, you can fall in love, but don't say yes to marriage at four months. It's not a good idea. You need, and uh, I actually heard Ann Landers, the old uh, advice columnist that I used to read when I was a kid. Someone asked her, how long should you wait before deciding to get married? And I listened very carefully to this. She said, two years because you want to see them in a lot of different situations and how they handle it. And I thought that was brilliant. I really did. I remember my mom, this is such an odd thing. I don't remember in what context she would have said this because it does not make any sense. Yeah. But I remember that it was her that said, you should date someone for a year to see them go through every season. Yes, every season is right. I mean, because... You can only hide so much for so long. Yeah, after a while, you start to see how people handle money. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. Their relatives, how they, you know, really how they handle challenge and difficulty. Um, yeah. So I, so I, at 42, I was so excited to get married again. I had a great, I had a great big wedding. <laughs> it was really fun. My daughter, who was, I think, 18, was my bridesmaid. It was a lot, of, it was fun. And then within a year or two, I noticed that this wasn't going to work. But I sort of, it's, I have to share something with people so they should know. It's embarrassing when you find out a relationship's not, not going to work. And I heard why. It's because it's, it's, you're embarrassed because there's a societal standard. Uh, Till death do us part. You know, love one soulmate for the rest of your life. So when you're in a relationship that looks like a, a primary relationship that looks like it's not working. It's embarrassing to let people know that. Oh, I invited you all to my wedding. And two years later, I actually let it go on, I think, almost five years until it was completely clear to me that we could not live together. And he, had, he, had, he just had to leave. But, it, but it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Now, that was my, I just want to say, that was my second marriage. And there's more to come. But that was at 42. And uh, uh, so, yes, uh, this, is, this, is, this was my deep research into what is love and marriage. <laughs> so uh, when I was 48, both of my children were in college. And I got offered a job to travel around the world teaching leadership 
it was an incredible job teaching leadership in poor countries in their health systems. And it was um, Agency for International Development Funding, and I started to travel. And um, one of the first countries I went to was Egypt, and I gave a talk about leadership and what people need to do to lead, even at the front line of healthcare, even those managers need to lead well. And um, someone came up to me from the uh, and said, someone from the Ministry of Health wants to have a meeting with you. I said, I've just come for this talk and I'm going to go see the pyramids and I don't really want to get involved with the Ministry of Health right now. So for three days in a row, I got this request. Someone from the Ministry of Health wants to talk to you. I said, finally, I was bored with the conference. I said, okay, I'll talk to him. And I sat down and there was this completely beautiful man who said, listen, I want you to stay here and I want you to train our health workers here. I said, no, I, he was a surgeon with the ministry. I said, no, I said, I'm not doing that. Just as we were talking about a second ago before, that wasn't in my life plan. I'd never written down a plan. I'm going to go to Egypt to work with health workers in the poorest parts of the country. I did not write that down anywhere. I said, no, if you, if I do that, you're going to change my life. And this is what he said to me. He was a very romantic guy. He said, uh, yes, I'm going to change your life. So then, you know, I, I, I wrote him a note. I said, look, I, I'll come to Egypt, but just professional, nothing personal. He went, no, 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 just purely professional. He was very, very strategic guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he was a lovely man, too. And so we worked together, I think, oh, almost a whole year. Just worked as colleagues, designed a leadership program, brought it out to health workers in Aswan, which is in southern Egypt, in a very beautiful place, actually a very beautiful and romantic place. And I, I just talked to a woman this week who also fell in love with an Egyptian in Aswan. And so it's, you know, it's a very, it's a very, you know, people don't know it from the outside, but it's a very beautiful, loving culture. It's a very sweet culture. So um, I was there a year, and then he said, uh, we started to notice that we really were falling in love. And several months into it, I think about six months into it, he said, look, in my culture, we can't date and have an intimate relationship. There's no such thing. We can't go to hotels. Hotels would actually ask to see your marriage license, if you can imagine. Wow. Okay. We say, wow, it was probably true like that 100 years ago in America, too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, we just were so used to it not being that way. Right. Right? So um, so I debated it a, a bit, and we went back and forth, and then I agreed to do a – we did a wedding in Egypt, which was uh, – I, I was not worried about. I actually wasn't worried about. But uh, four years later, he came to America, and he said, okay, now we need to do a wedding in America. And that I was nervous about because – I know marriage in America has got a whole bunch of paperwork connected with it. <laughs> I'd already, I had gotten out of two marriages. I know it's a legal agreement. I know it's an economic agreement. I know it. Because I, I always say you should sign the 1,500 pages going out that you have going in that you have to sign going out. Right? Agreed. Oh, really? Oh, I'm wholly responsible financially and we'll have – you will have to put that out to the courts to look at. You know, yeah. unfortunately, in this day and age, sometimes a woman can be responsible for alimony. Yeah. It's a, 
Yeah, you say, yeah, but I'm like, oh, my God, because alimony was designed for women and children who didn't have any means to support themselves. And now you have women who are making good salaries, paying men who are either not working or earning less salaries, paying them alimony. And so did from, you go through with it? I did, because I said, oh, I said, a, I said a foolish thing. In, in front of some of my grown kids, I said, Oh, that would be a real commitment. And then he looked at me. He said, this isn't a real commitment. I said, whoops. <laughs> I said, whoops. So we went down to City Hall and signed the papers. And we had a party in front of our friends and colleagues and relatives. And, and then we got married. And then he came to live in America. And it didn't work out. <laughs> he, he brought a 16-year-old son with him. And I... I had not wanted him to bring a 16-year-old son, but he had been very, uh, I, I had been in an accident and he had helped me recover and I felt um, grateful. And I said, all right, look, you've done a lot for me. I'll, I'll help you with your 16-year-old son. And so he brought a 16-year-old son here and we managed to get him graduated from high school. But... Um, the reason he brought me his 16-year-old son was I had done a good job on my kids. And he thought, here, I'll give you a 16-year-old and you can do a good job on him. But it was a little too late in the game. I didn't have any relationship with him. He barely spoke English. He, he got, God bless him, he got in trouble with the law. You know, he just, he couldn't help it. He got, you know, he's an immigrant kid. He got in with a bad group of kids and... And it just, it, it just, I just was up to my neck in it. I was like, I really can't take this. And on top of it, my husband was traveling about six weeks at a time just to, to do his work. He was out of town, leaving me with this kid. And so that also took several years to wear down. But it's really funny. I, uh, when I, I don't know how women stay in marriages when they're not happy because I can't stay like a day. I, I just like, once I get it, this is over. It's just, and I don't care what the consequences are. I, don't, I just say that's enough. I can't do this. So I got to do my third divorce. And we did that one fairly simply and uh, just went our separate ways. And it wasn't, we weren't, we weren't angry with each other. We never got angry with each other ever. We just, I just said, I just can't do this. So there I was, 58 years old and three divorces. Oh my God, it sounds like, uh, it, it sounds like a failure. It sounds, but you know what? Today at sixty-five, happily married, I have no problem telling people I've I had three divorces. That, that's what happened. It was a hey, I married them. <laughs> you know, I committed and I married them, and then they didn't work out. Lots of people have three primary relationships in their adult life. That occurs to a lot of people, but. Uh, for good reason, people are scared of legally signing. <laughs> for good reason, I understand. So there I was, 58 years old, and uh, I said, oh, shit. Well, I took, I took the first year, and I just was relieved, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I didn't want to date anyone. I just wanted everything to calm down, me to calm down. I got a new apartment that was mine that wasn't, no, none of my ex-husband was in it. Um, uh, I said, I'm just going to calm down. I think I had a grandchild born in that period. So my life was starting to change. And uh, I was still working and teaching, which was very fortunate. Um, 
But after I'd settled down for a year, I said, uh-oh, now I'm, now I'm 58 and I'm single. And what am I going to do now for the rest of my life? So I said, oh, God, I, I better get the best support in the world. I, 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 you know, my field is learning and teaching. I believe in learning. So I have to find the right people to learn from. So um, I started to take an online course with a woman named Catherine Woodward Thomas. And there were like 1400 people in this course. It was called Calling in the One. And there was a moment where she said into this vast sea of people, I have one open space in my coaching practice if someone would like it. And before she had finished talking, I had sent the email. I just raised my hand. I said, that's me. That's me. That's me. I want you to coach me in how to bring this next man in at 58 because I don't know how. So I, I started coaching with her and I made an intention that I would call in a beloved by my 59th birthday. And so I was very intentional. I dated a number of men. I, I, as I said before, I learned from my son how to go online, how to put up a profile, how to exchange notes with people. So I dated a number of men. I even went out with somebody for three months and it didn't work out. And by my 59th birthday, I did not call in my beloved. So I went back to my coach. I said, all right, we just intended for 59. What do I do now? She said, intend for 60. I said, oh, God. I mean, that's a tough coach who won't let you off the hook, right? That's why we get a coach, because you, you need to not. So I went, all right, all right, okay. So I said, all right, I'm going to bring someone in by my 60th birthday. I said, oh, my God, I have to go out here and meet all these people again. I have to tell you, in two years, I met 40 people. <gasps> that's crazy. That's that fun. Crazy? Yeah. People always say, how'd you do that? I said, it's really just two a month when you think about it. It's not yeah. that hard. You could have, it's not hard to have coffee with two people a month. Nope. What, nope, it's not hard to do. What's hard is to get your hopes up and find out that either he doesn't like you or you don't like him. And someone, someone asked me, is, don't you know right off? And I said, no, I don't. I'm not like, maybe some people do, but... It took me sometimes one, two or three dates to find out there was not enough chemistry or it, you know, he seemed after the first 45 minutes of conversation to coffee, he seemed like a nice, reasonable, kind person. I said, okay, I'll have a second date with him. See what else I can learn about him. And usually within two or three dates, I could find out whether the, the disappointment is either you're not that interested in them or they're not that interested in you. It happens one of two ways. I mean, what, what I've learned from going through all of it is what works is when it's mutual. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, they have to think you're great. You have to think they're great. That, and it, oftentimes, it's not like that. So yeah. one of the things about dating is that I, I say in my book, so I, I ended up writing this whole story I'm telling you, I ended up writing in a book, Never Too Late for Love. One of the things I say is that dating by its nature is disappointing. Okay. Being in a relationship isn't disappointing. Being in a relationship is a lovely, warm, supportive thing. But meeting people to assess whether you could be in a relationship is disappointing more off almost all the time until you find the one. 
you know, it's never like, oh, great, he wasn't the one. It's, you don't have that experience. You go, oh, God, that guy was such a jerk, and ugh, I can't go back out there again. There's nothing but jerks online, which are the conclusions you come to when you do that kind of thing. Did you, did you want to ask me something? <laughs> I don't even, I mean, I have had, I, I was in the same situation yeah. as far as I married three times and I've been divorced for three times and Dean yeah. and I have not married yet. Right. People assume that we have, which is fine. Right. But um, that feeling of embarrassment and failure, that's the only thing in my entire life that I'm embarrassed about. Because you don't start it out to end it. I did not. That was not no, my intention. And I no, went my ass off to keep it. Yeah. Right healthy and going right. and even retrospectively i have no idea what i could have done differently right like i don't feel like i failed like i screwed up or you did this right. wrong or you could have done this different i don't feel that at all and they ended right. and that is that is embarrassing and it is hard i think with the dating thing for me it's disappointing yes but also like it's exhausting it's exhausting that's Not, why I actually, that's yeah. why I approach because it's exhausting and you will give up and then you'll start again because it's so uh, someone once said to me it's the only game in town oh. Ugh, right and so you say okay I, I don't want I don't want a relationship in my life and and then after a couple months you say well maybe I do and you start again because we do we we're, we're desi- I, I just have to say I think this human being is designed to have a partner. I agree. I agree with that. And it wasn't like, oh, out with the old, so like, let's find something. I never felt that way at all. But I did want to share my life with someone, certainly. But that wasn't, yeah, it's it's exhausting. And it's not even because you're acting in a way that's different than your normal. I was totally, Mm -hmm. completely myself. It's Mm -hmm. that, it's, it's like the worst it's like a sexual job interview. <laughs> it is. It's like a sexual <laughs> job interview. It's insane. That's right? I've never heard that one. That's, and, and that's why I actually, one of the things I say to people is you want to meet them in person. I don't care what you're texting, emailing, or even on the phone. That's not a relationship. These two bodies actually have to be in the same physical space with each yeah. other. And see how that goes. Because haven't you be, haven't you had conversation before meeting, and you thought this is going to be fantastic, or I don't really think this is going to be that great? And it was the polar opposite. Well, it was the polar opposite with my husband, and I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened. So, okay, to my sixtieth year. Oh my God, I'm heading to my sixtieth birthday, and. One of the things my coach, Catherine, coached me to do was bring more love into your life without a partner because you want to have yeah. a love life, right? So I did several things in those years. Um, I started having vacations with my brothers and my grown children and grandchildren, which I still do to this day. And um, just so that, oh, the experience of us all being together and having love was beautiful. And then for my 60th birthday party, I planned a big party for myself in, in my home and invited people from, I invited my brother who lives far away, my son who lives far away, and people from every decade of my life, friends of mine from my teenage years, my 20s. I, this is so cute. I invited my ex-husband because I said, oh, God, if I'm inviting people, my friends from my 20s, which were just a couple of them, and my children, well, my ex-husband was my primary friend in my 20s, so I invited him friends from my 30s, 40s, and 50s. And um, 
as I approached my 60th birthday with this intention, my birthday was in April. In December, I went out with a very nice, oh my, he was gorgeous and nice. And he was an oceanographer. He's really interesting. I said, oh boy, this is exciting. And he was excited. And then on the third day, we went out. I met him at his house and he was showing things to me in his house. And it was like a flash of energy. He and I both got it that this was not going to work. I, I can tell you the moment when it happened. It was a feeling like, Oh, uh, no, we're not really a match for each other. You're, you're not going to take how wild I am, and I'm not going to take how rigid you are. I can see it right now. And the funny thing is, we then went out dancing, and since I didn't care what he thought about me anymore, I just danced the way I would have danced and had a wild time and knew that the thing was over. So that was in December. I get Since I have promised, I have an intention to do this by 60, I get back online in January. Oh, my God. Who's there? So I was down to that point. There had to be my age group, like around their 60s, in the Boston area. I didn't want a long-distance relationship. And somewhat educated. Like they were doing some kind of work that they felt proud of. And um, so I went out with someone else for two Oh, God. I went out with someone else for two weeks. This is a funny, this is a terrible story. Who eventually he, he just I, I'm someone people confide in a lot. I'm a coach, and people just tell me things. Told me his one his ex girlfriend had a restraining order on him. Well, now you want to really listen carefully, and it's his fault. Yeah, a restraining order, but not his fault. You just want to really listen when that. You <laughs> so I said, okay, you need to get away from me, and if you don't get away from me. I'm actually going to call the police department where that restraining order is. And so he got away from me. And I always did it that harshly because I thought he didn't know boundaries. I really thought he didn't know. By that time, I figured he didn't know boundaries. And I wanted to make it really clear to him he needed to get away from me. And um, that was the harshest I ever was in online dating. But that was the strangest one. And believe me, you will meet strange people online because everyone in the world's online. And it might take you a time or two, or in this case, a week or two to get their character. Some people are very good liars. I hate to say that. Yeah, and I mean, you can you can fake a lot for a short amount of time. I just don't think you can fake a lot for a longer period of time. And so sometimes you have to hang out just long enough to see something. And it's what I was okay with was if I wasn't interested or a person wasn't interested, That's it's not personal. No, that's you fine. You know, it really is no big deal. I'd rather just know and move on and wish you the best of luck. That's, that's not an so, issue. So I'll tell you how the happily ever after this comes to. So, yes. so that ended. Then I went out with another guy for three dates. Very nice man, lived near me, a widower, nice man. And then we were about to go on the third date, which was um, Valentine's Day. And he sends me a note. He says, I can't go out with you on Valentine's Day. We had it all planned because I'm actually dating two people and I've decided to commit to this other woman, which is a very fair, reasonable thing to say. So I said, ouch, and I wish you the best of luck. That's what I wrote in the note. Ouch, I wish you the best of luck. Like, you know, being stood up on Valentine's Day is not a lot of fun, really. No, but good for him for admitting. Yes, for just telling me the truth. I said, thank you. And then I, I like, oh, my God, I've got to go back online and look at these profiles. And I saw one, someone who I'd written to nine months before who had never written back to me, and I'd given up on him. But he was in my age group. 
in my area and he looked reasonably like he was functioning high at a high level. So I sent him a note. He sends me back something quickly. We get on the phone. This is the funny part. My husband's not a phone person. He says, um, yes, okay, I'll meet you at Starbucks, bye. And goes like that, click. I'm like, what? I'm like, no small talk, nothing. <laughs> This is not going to, I'm a talker. I don't know what that was, but uh, I'm going to go down to, I'm going to go put on my makeup because I used to put on makeup because I wanted to look like my pictures. I said, I'm going to go put on my makeup, go down to Starbucks, tell this guy, look, you seem like a very nice man, but we're just not a match. You know, I get down there and there's this absolutely beautiful man. And we sat and talked for an hour and a half about everything. He was a Viet vet. He told me about the five kids, you know, and um, he was just a lovely man. He was a peacemaker. He was a mediator. He worked in the school system. He's just lovely. Now, he did the right thing, which was he sent me a note the next day. I want to see you again. Just as my son said, men who are interested. I said, oh, good. The next day. Then we dated for three months, and I put the quotes around dated. He'd pick me up, take me to the movies, take me out to dinner, take me home, kiss me goodbye at the door and leave. Three months. Wow. I know. Everyone says, oh, my God, how do you do that in today's day and age? And when I always, that was my intention that I sometimes pulled off and sometimes did to, you know, don't jump into bed with someone if you don't know them. This was my intention. But Mark, my husband, was really clear about it. And I asked him later, why did you do that? He said, I wanted to make sure we could really be friends before we went to bed. So on our fourth date, I invited him to my 60th birthday party. He met all of my friends. And he said, are you sure you want me to come? I said, why not? You know, why not? Come. I didn't know where it was going to go. But I said, you come meet everybody. So he met everyone in my life several of whom have become friends of ours together, several couples. And um, then at three months, I was getting a little bit worried about the whole thing. And I, I asked him, would you ever go away with me for a weekend? And the way his face lit up and he smiled, let me know this was not going to be a platonic friendship. He was, oh, boy. He's such a goofy, he's such a goofy guy. He really is a goofy guy. He's an old-fashioned guy, too. Very sweet. And so we went away, we slept together, and the next day he called me up and said, oh, my God, I'm in love with you. And from seeing him once a week, he went to never leaving my side. I think that's five and a half years. He he doesn't go anywhere. He just, he sticks right by me. And, And that's the difference with a committed man. You know, he, and that's the advice I give to women. When you're dating, don't expect them to act like they're in a relationship. They're not in a relationship yet. They're just getting to know you. And they might just call you once a week. And that's how it goes. Very, very hard advice to take because we're all anxious. Yeah. Well, it is hard advice to take. And I mean, we're all anxious, but I love sex. Yeah. Oh, well then. <laughs> right. But you so, don't love sex with the wrong person. No. But it's a big part of the relationship. And yeah. so saying like, hold off and wait and get to know, well, that it's, it's hard for emotional reasons and right. physical reasons, like right. a, lot, a lot of reasons. And yeah. so 
it doesn't work for everyone. Uh, lots of people I coach, I had a woman I coach, she's 62, and he lived in another city and he was coming to town today. I said, well, you know, put him in Airbnb because if he's in your house, it'll be complicated. But she called me up on the second night. She said, all right, we're past complicated. He's in the house and that's the way it's going to be. And they fell in love and they're doing great. And, it, you know, people can do it in their own way. This, this turned out to work for Mark and myself. Yes, it did. Yes. For lots of reasons, which was great. And so now one of the interesting happy ever afters is my husband has five children. They have between four and five partners. We're not sure on one of them. (laughs) But that gives me, that gave me 10 extra kids. It was just amazing to get 10 young people from 26 to 46 who now five years later, I was an hour on the phone with two of them yesterday. I mean, who are in my life and they get to share with me and I get to share. It just, it was such a blessing to get all 10 of them. It was wonderful. Yeah. They're all coming, I think next week to Mark's, we're going to have a big party for Mark's 70th and we're in a transition. We're doing retirement transition. Oh, so uh, this is the last part of the story I'll tell you. We've been planning it for four years. Four years ago, just before we got married, we were vacationing in Florida near his son. His son said, gee, Dad, there's a town where there's, the prices are still really low because, you know, Florida, the prices had dropped. And um, we went and we found a beautiful little condo on a harbor. And just like a few weeks after we got married, we bought it together. And we've been going every winter just for vacations, and now we'll go down in January and spend half the year there. So that's our transition plan. Yay, you're snowbirding. People in New England know what snowbirding is yes, in Florida. Yes, yes, yes. We're very excited. How exciting. So right now, yes. you took all of this hands-on experience yes. and all of your the, your degrees and your work. Yes. I mean, it, yes. it was an amalgam of a lot, a tremendous yes. amount. And you either help people do work that they really feel born to do, which is what I do in my business also, separate from podcasting. Um, Find their reasons, direct them towards why, um, purpose, passion, that sort of thing. And then also you work with women to help them find love in the second half of their life. Yes. And I, I, I want to I give an offer to your listeners. Yes, please. I, okay, I have a book. It's called Never Too Late for Love, The Successful Woman's Guide to Online Dating in the Second Half of Life. And if you send me a note, and I'm going to spell it out to you, so you have a pencil or a pen, it's Joan, that's my first name, at JoanBrager, one word, dot com. Joan at Joan Brager, and I'm going to spell it. Joan is J-O-A-N. Brager is B R A. G, and then the A-R. There's two A's in it. B-R-A-G-A-R. JoanBreger.com. Joan at JoanBreger.com. Just send me a note. I'm happy to send you a digital copy of Never Too Late for Love, which has all the tips of how you do online dating in it so that you too can have this adventure. Oh, thank you. So much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.